electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber along with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl both off this morning. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start trading one half an hour from now, you can see uh, it's called kind of mixed, but a little bit up uh, as uh, the implied open, at least. We're going to start, though, of course, with an update on Ida. It is now a tropical storm. Valerie Castro is on the ground in New Orleans, and she joins us live with the latest. Valerie. Good morning, David. Right now, we are in the heart of the French Quarter, one of the most iconic neighborhoods here in New Orleans. This was certainly not spared by Hurricane Ida yesterday. It made landfall just before noon. I want to get out of the way and show you some of the damage that we've seen this morning. This is actually a portion of a roof here at Decatur and Toulouse. We got here when it was still dark, and at that time, we weren't sure exactly what it was. We thought maybe it was one of the balconies from the neighborhoods, but you can see it's actually a portion of a roof. It also ripped down a lamppost with it and damaged one of those balconies there on that that upper floor. Uh, We want to show you some video that we gathered just within the last hour or so of other streets here in the neighborhood. Lots of trees down. That's certainly uh, the majority of the damage and debris that we've seen in this area. But a lot of buildings were damaged. A lot of windows have been blown out, despite the fact that many of them were boarded up overnight. You mentioned that the storm is now a tropical storm. The danger is not over yet, though. We have heard several uh, flash flood warnings and advisories for various communities, uh, especially here in the southern portion of the state. Those still remain in effect in this hour, in some cases until 10 a.m. local time. So people are certainly not out of the woods just yet. The other issue this morning is power. More than one million people are still without power across the state. All of New Orleans is still without power. We lost electricity here around 6 o'clock yesterday evening. Uh, Entergy is one of the largest utilities in the state. Yesterday they said there was a catastrophic failure to some of their transmission services. They account for about 800,000 of those people without power. No word on when that will be restored. Back to you. Valerie, it's, it's Morgan. Um, I mean, Hurricane Ida made landfall as a cat for, I mean, 16 years ago to the day. Katrina, it was a Category 3. There are the comparisons, for better or worse, they're being made right now. I mean, just thinking back to Katrina, it was literally hundreds of billions of dollars worth of damage, but there was also a levy system that gave way. Uh, I guess so far, based on, on everything we're seeing and the damage assessments and, and coming out of this storm, how did the levy system hold up this time around? Morgan, after Katrina, a lot of improvements and upgrades were made. Lots of money was put into those levy systems to make sure there wouldn't be a catastrophe like that again. Yesterday, the mayor here in New Orleans continued to reassure people that she was confident that the that everything would hold, that the levy system would do its job. It certainly appears that it did here in New Orleans. However, in some of the southern communities, uh, we have heard that there were some failures in the levy systems there. The extent of the damage still unclear, although now that it's daylight, uh, we will be able to get a better sense of exactly how bad it was there. Morgan? 
Okay. Uh, Valerie, thank you. Valerie Castro in New Orleans for us. Let's get back to the markets, of course. We'll uh, begin trading 27 minutes or so from now. Uh, Mike, we had a pretty good week last week, of course. We're coming off the the comments from uh, Chair Powell. Of course, we had the opportunity Friday to trade off of those comments. Anything you're sort of looking for is... A typically quiet week, given we are right ahead of the Labor Day weekend. It is quiet. Uh, just a couple more days left in the month. Uh, it seems as if uh, the re- reflex response to what Powell had to say was exactly what probably uh, the chair m- might have wanted, which is market says, fine, we've already been softened up on the notion that we're going to get this tapering of QE process going. Uh, the fact that Powell was preceded by a drumbeat of folks saying that this is on the way, perhaps you start sooner than later, I think enabled him to sound much more dovish than he might otherwise have. And even with that, he said, that has nothing to do with when we raise rates. So if you look at what the market did, it sort of said, okay, we're not assuming that once they finish with winding down the bond buying program, we're raising rates. So therefore, market says we can, we can deal with this. Um, obviously, the slowdown issue is probably much more present in terms of, is the economy going to be at a spot where we can just sort of shrug and say, you know, let the Fed get a little tighter uh, on policy? And that's the big question. You see some of the travel indicators. You see a lot of the co- corporate commentary that we've really seen an air pocket in demand in some areas. And um, market, though, has been remarkable in the sense that it's not as if everything's gone up uh, unrelentingly for a 20% year-to-date gain. It's mm. that some stuff goes up a lot, right. other stuff backs off. We still have a third of the S&P at least 10% below its record high, even though you've had 52 new record highs, including Friday on the S&P itself. It is kind of interesting. It, it's, it's, like, it's like rolling rotations, mini rotations, yeah. into cyclicals and, and reflation trades, back out into safe havens, back in. I mean, I, I was off last week and just coming back in and reading back into the market and seeing that we had record closes again for both the NASDAQ, the S&P, but also, and of course, interest rates coming off again on those really kind of ambiguous comments. It seemed like Goldilocks comments. I keep hearing dovish tapering sure. is the term that's being uh, tossed around right now um, from the Fed chair on Friday. Small caps having their best week since March, too, which I think kind of speaks to the fact that you have these moves in and out and some sectors are doing really well and then it comes off a little bit and then other sectors start to outperform and then it comes back off a little bit. It's like conflicting narratives. And one reason that um, I think that we've managed so far to avert a index wide, market wide five or or more percent decline is that the parts of the market that tend to do well when people are worried about macro stuff and when people are worried about the Fed, that would be kind of the big, reliable growth. They're so much bigger relative to the size of the index than they used to be. It's just a growth index. I mean, really, if you really strip it down. And so, therefore, oh, we're a little bit worried, so we're going to buy, like, it's like some of the best companies in the world, like Google and Facebook, are still growing very quickly. That wasn't the case in past cycles, Right. right? You were buying toothpaste companies that were not growing that fast, but you had to do it play defense. Mm. Well, for more on the markets, let's bring in Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research. Ed, good morning to you. Uh, I want to get your thoughts. want to get your thoughts on the fact that we have markets here at record highs. Right. Well, I, I heard the conversation you folks just had, and I completely agree with the, every point you made. Uh, it has been very much a, uh, a rotating market, rotating almost on a daily basis. Uh, it used to be risk on, risk off. Now, I guess it's uh, some of the Pandemic stocks, those that do well when uh, Delta news is bad, and then sometimes it's go back to uh, uh, the uh, the reopening trade. So I, I think uh, investors should be uh, invested in the stock market. I think they should be diversified. I have liked the small cap stocks. I think they're very cheap relative to the large caps. 
their fundamentals have been great. So um, uh, I'm I'm targeting 5,000 on the S&P 500 by the end of next year or sooner. Hmm. Um, what are the biggest risks to the market here, Ed? I mean, I, I feel like there's right. quite a wall of worry that we could point to, everything from geopolitics to we were just talking about dovish taper, but a ta- it's a taper nonetheless. It's the Fed tightening right. nonetheless uh, and on down the road. Well, look, uh, the, the market arithmetic is pretty simple, right? It's uh, the P.E. times Z, valuation multiples times earnings. So the question is, uh, what, what's the risk uh, on the earnings side? Usually it's a credit crunch or uh, that leads to a recession. And it's hard to imagine that with credit conditions being so remarkably easy and with a Fed uh, kind of slow motion tapering and eventually maybe raising interest rates. Uh, and that, of course, up, up is relevant to the valuation multiple, because if interest rates aren't going to go up anytime soon, then maybe the market can hold on to this 22 forward P.E. that it's had for about a year now. Yeah, that's obviously the kind of the key part of the, the market yeah. algebra there is where the multiple gets to. Now, we also are looking ahead to 2022. Obviously, earnings growth is going to decelerate a lot from this year with this massive snapback. And that's always been the case after you, you know, come back from a huge profit crunch. I guess forecasts are looking in the 9 to 10, 11, 12 range. So you're basically saying that your forecast implies the market just holds the multiple and we correct. get we achieve those uh, consensus numbers. That, that's correct. That, that's exactly right. I, I'm, I'm uh, going to stick, stick my neck out with a valuation multiple where it is now. The reason it's sticking my neck out is it's really unprecedented to see a multiple uh, around this level for so long uh, in the face of uh, all sorts of things to worry about. But uh, uh, because interest rates have remained so close to zero and the bond yield is back uh, below one and a half percent, the valuation multiples held up uh, remarkably well. So, yeah, I, I look, uh, we're at uh, peak earnings growth right now. In the second quarter, it was probably up 80, 80 to 90 percent on a year over year basis. So we are definitely going to see slowdown in the growth rate. But that doesn't mean it uh, declines. It means it just slows down, which means that the pace of increase in the stock market slows down. Look, it's it's doubled since March uh, 23rd of last year. It's not going to do that again for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's a, such a key point, Ed, is going to be, and I know you talk about this in your notes, you just touch, touched on it now, this idea of peak earnings growth. Um, but you got S&P 500's profit market margin at a record 14%. Yep. We start to see that come off a little bit. It gets back at this inflation debate, right? Like just sure. how much do we come off of peak? Just how much do, co- do costs and uh, prices mm-hmm. stay elevated? And I, I ask you that question as we did get that. 30-year high in the PCE, that Fed uh, preferred inflation gauge on Friday as well. Well, look, I I mean, clearly, uh, as as you said, there are things to worry about. The geopolitical risk has been heightened by the disaster in Afghanistan. And then uh, uh, we we don't really have clear signs that uh, inflation has, in fact, peaked. As a matter of fact, uh, it's kind of uh, mixed uh, signs at this point. And so it's conceivable that uh, it's going to take longer uh, for inflation to peak. And at some point, the market will care about that. And at some point, the Fed might care about that. Uh, but uh, for now, margins really have been the huge story mm-hmm. in the in what's going on with earnings. We've had a melt up, uh, an earnings led melt up in the stock market to a large extent uh, because the profit margins have uh, soared to record highs. And uh, that speaks uh, to productivity making a big comeback. And uh, certainly, if that's the case, then that's a good offset to some of these inflationary pressures. But although, Ed, um, I wonder about what we should read into the overall aggregate profit margin uh, if it's not just about the mix 
of companies that are huge in the index that have the very high profit margins as opposed to the median company being able to preserve margins. Plus, you know, lower tax rates is a pretty decent chunk of higher bottom line profit margins relative to, you know, decades past. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think uh, the, the, the uh, record level of the profit margin isn't really that narrow. A lot of companies either at record profit margins or that have made uh, significant progress uh, from their lows of last year. And I, I think, look, there's a, there's a labor shortage out there, and it's, it's structural. Uh, the labor force just isn't growing, and a lot of that has to do with demography. And I think a lot of the shock that uh, we can't find workers uh, was kind of baked in the uh, in the demographics. And uh, I think companies are coming to recognize that. And now all of a sudden they're uh, they're holding on to their workers uh, tightly. They're, they're giving them all sorts of uh, benefits and increasing their wages. And uh, that would be inflationary without uh, productivity making a comeback. And I think they know they have to increase their productivity to augment the physical and mental productivity of their of their labor force. And they're doing it. Key discussion that we will be sure to continue. Ed Yardeni, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, coming up, Ida is now a tropical storm, but not before causing a shutdown of almost all oil production facilities in the Gulf of Mexico. We're going to look at Ida's impact on the energy sector. And we're taking a look at futures, of course. We are uh, about 17 or so minutes before we get started with trading. Right here at the NYSE, we've got a lot more Squawk in the Street for you straight ahead. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Taking a look at crude prices, relatively flat this morning after hitting a four-week high. Regulators say Hurricane Ida shut down 95% of oil production facilities in the Gulf of Mexico. Joining our conversation on how Ida will impact the energy sector is analyst Neil Dingman of Truist Securities. Uh, Neil, good morning. Uh, What do you take from the, I guess, what we can infer right now, either from the way the market is trading uh, or from early uh, damage assessments uh, that uh, in terms of what it might mean on an enduring basis for production? Yeah, sure. Early on, I mean, again, that that's going to be the assessment of how long the downtime. You you, you hit it exactly, and that is that about ninety five percent of not only the uh, Gulf production but the Gulf refining capacity was down. Uh, and the, the obviously the the million dollar question is how long will it be down? Because 
both that production and the refining capacity accounts for about 20 percent of here in the United States. So we've even seen oil prices reverse this morning. Early signs are that they shouldn't be down too long, but obviously it's going to be the amount of rainfall and, and, and other things surrounding that. But the real picture is going to be, because it is a significant amount, as I mentioned, 20% of both refining and oil production is still a significant amount. It's just going to be the, the, the total downtime. And in terms of gasoline and other products, refined products, what is the supply situation domestically look like going into this? In other words, I mean, again, the way the market is trading, it doesn't seem as if uh, there's a little there's any kind of a panic in there about shortages just yet. No, I think part of that is you saw actually last Friday, in fact, the demand side of gasoline, which, you know, these days it seems like demand is driving everything. Uh, demand was down week over week, about two or three percent on gasoline. So I think that's what what the market is trying to weigh to say, OK, we know supply is going to be temporary down, especially, you know, the Colonial Pipeline, which is the major major pipeline that ships gasoline from the Houston area to the East Coast. Uh, a good bit of that to the East Coast is is still down could be down for another few days. So, again, as long as the demand picture doesn't change sharply, but, you know, it's going to be interesting. We're into a holiday weekend, driving weekend, so things certainly could change around there if, if we're still down and we enter uh, later this week. Neil, are there any names in your coverage universe that you would be buying right now, given everything that we're discussing and, and everything that's playing out, whether it is around Hurricane Ida or in the case of something like natural gas, uh, the fact that we've seen the price surge even before the hurricane to levels we haven't seen in a number of years. Sure. I mean, to, to Morgan, you hit it. I mean, one, because of the potential downtime, I'm probably not playing many of the offshore names right now. But again, like a, a Diamondback Energy, a pure Permian company, we think it's one of the best. We just upgraded pure Eagleford company, Magnolia Oil and Gas this morning. And then number three, the largest uh, oil, uh, gas company out there, you mentioned uh, natural gas prices quite good. EQT uh, tends to be one of the, we think, one of the better stocks out there. Just in terms of how the, oil, the energy stocks have you know, been trading and what they're discounting right now, obviously uh, had a huge washout from the highs like in the spring and the summer, have bounced since then. Uh, where, where do you think that, what are they dependent on? I mean, is it about the demand uh, side only? We have OPEC uh, perhaps going to come out with a little more of a supply, uh, 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 you know, incremental supply this week? I, I really do. You you hit it. I think it is going to be about almost exclusively demand because all these companies are very staying very capital disciplined. So as long as demand just continues to steady rebound, what's interesting is prices right now are reflecting somewhere around the mid 50s, and here we are almost at 70 dollar oil. So as you said, even though that the the stocks have re, rebound here lately, we think there's a lot of room to run. I'm talking 20, 30, and in some cases 50 to 60 percent with a lot of these names given what's being reflected in oil on these stocks today. So then what is the biggest risk to your outlook, whether it's for the stock specifically or crude and other energy prices that are uh, such a key part of how you're measuring them? It, it, it's certainly crude and it's certainly the, the demand side. If, if for some reason COVID related, uh, it was just a week or two ago, it seemed like China was pulling back because of COVID related demand issues. Uh, we still don't know in the states. Um, it seems like here in Houston, cases are surging again. We're almost back at pre, pre, uh, you know, some of the early levels. Uh, so again, if you would just tell me that going forward, demand's going to stay stable, I think this group has a, a lot, uh, just a, a large way to run right now. And again, fifty percent plus. 
All right, Neil, thanks very much. Hmm. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Still to come, get ready for major carriers to cut capacity this fall. Stick around for a look at what this could mean for the travel picture and, of course, the airline stocks. We've got a lot more squawk on the street when we return. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, take a look at the uh, top pre-market performers on the S&P. You can see Perigo. And, uh, yeah, you got Generac, of course, as you might imagine, of course, Generators much in need uh, in the wake of Hurricane Ida. We're going to speak with the CEO of Generac, by the way, in the next hour. The opening bell just a few minutes away. Stay with us. Welcome back. We'll get started with trading a few minutes uh, from now. And ahead of that, let's take a look at uh, at least some names that uh, are going to move, we know for sure, including yeah. stuff up in space, which I'm uh, glad I've you're back. I've been bottled up for like over a week uh, with all I the space I can only news. imagine how hard it's been for you, given all the news. But this morning, Global Star and Iridium, and you yes. focused on any number of these other companies that have satellites up there, but they're obviously yeah. companies that support uh, telecommunications and remote parts of the world, not to mention other places. And apparently the Apple, the next iteration of the Apple phone may include the ability to to uh, communicate via satellite for your that, phone calls. That's right. That's based on, on a report from TFI securities analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, um, which put out, uh, she, he put out a note on Sunday um, suggesting that we could actually see the iPhone 13 being able to call and send messages via satellite. You're talking about low Earth orbit uh, satellite, you know, connection, broadcast broadband connection, which is that key area that everyone from SpaceX to Telesat to OneWeb, Amazon are building out constellations for, and in that report suggesting that it could be Global Star that could be the beneficiary given the ties to Qualcomm, which is making this custom chip, and shares of Global Star have been surging pre-market, but also Iridium, because there was another analyst note suggesting that Iridium could also be involved in this process as well. So two names that we don't necessarily talk about very much in the space space, um, that are involved in satellite communications and broadband access, essentially, uh, that could benefit when we see this new iPhone come out. So that's just one piece of the space yeah. story this morning. It's funny to see those names, Mike, of course, because you, oh, yeah. you can both remember when they Absolutely. went bankrupt, uh, yes. uh, both of them. But yeah. uh, there they are. I want to come back to you, Morgan, on Starlink as well, because we Look probably that, don't talk as much as for we Global should. Star. But, yeah, that's a huge I'm just curious what, I mean, what the implied, you know, incremental market size is for, you know, if, if Apple phones have this feature. In other words, you know, if we look at a move like that. You're talking about basically, essentially, potentially a, an addendum to 4G, 5G connectivity. Right. Um, which is going to be key in places like rural America, for example. Or, um, you know. So, it's just, a, so it's in theory, it's one more reason to go with iPhone as opposed to a competing platform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also just in general, when you think about 5G build-out, and I'm sure you know a lot about this, David, um, for many of the telcos, and not just here in the U.S., but in other parts of the world, too, part of the way they've been able to maintain or, I guess, get those licenses for 5G spectrum uh, is by guaranteeing that there's going to be coverage in hard-to-reach places like rural America. And that's where something like satellite services come into play. Right. So you can switch on and off. I mean, where uh, where are we on Starlink, which, you know, again, is part of SpaceX, 
is putting up all those satellites and is conceivably going to be competing and bringing some sort of a broadband product to market in these same areas? Yeah, so it has been just a fierce launch cadence for SpaceX with Starlink on top of everything else they've been doing. Worth noting, though, and this came up last week with Gwen Shotwell at the Space Symposium, um, they, like some other names within um, the launch services, the rocket industry right now, are facing liquid oxygen shortages. Given everything we're seeing with COVID, we can talk about that a little bit more behind the bells and, and a market tech. Oh, also, yeah, we, we need to get to Astra. We've got plenty of time to talk about a lot of more things. There you're here at the opening bell. Take a look at the CNBC. And stop now. Real-time exchange here at the big board, by the way, that was Chemid Corporation celebrating its 50th anniversary. Over at the NASDAQ Reservoir Media, the first female-founded and led publicly traded music company in the U.S., Cardi B and Offset are there as well. Are they? I don't see them. Are they in there somewhere? Oh, all right. They said they're there. Who knows? Uh, we were talking about uh, Iridium and Global Star uh, as well uh, as Starlink. But, uh, you know, uh, China has been something we've been greatly focused on of late um, for any number of reasons, Mike, and in particular, just a cascade of regulations that the, that the country has imposed on various companies as it tries to clamp down, frankly, on the overall power, it would seem, to a certain extent, of the companies and their management yeah. teams. That's sort of the broader theme, but then they get deeper in. The latest, though, is not having as great an impact as you might have expected, perhaps, in the market, at least when we take a look at Tencent shares, perhaps because they've already been down. But uh, China is going to, has introduced a new regulation. It's been announced by the National Press and Public a publication administration that will ban minors from playing video games entirely from Monday through Thursday. And on the other three days of the week, you get one hour a day. You're only permitted to play between eight and nine on Friday, Saturday and Controlled Sunday. Controlled gaming. So three hours a day. Apparently, they're going to rely to a certain extent on facial recognition technology by the companies themselves to limit playing time to three hours a week, excuse me, uh, and that only being on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And just coming uh, really as part of this overall push where clearly Chinese authorities feel as if there's just been too much commerce, techno- technological development, capital raising, wealth building in areas of the economy that they feel are non-strategic, frivolous, waste of time, and counterproductive to the long-term competitiveness of the country. I mean, it's really kind of amazing in that sense. They're saying, we know these companies are great, you know, that we've created and they've accessed global capital, uh, but they don't like what it's doing perhaps to priorities in terms of what lines of work people go into and how they spend their time. That's amazing when it it comes down to it. Second biggest economy in the world is being run that way. Uh, their ability to surveil, of course, is also unsurpassed. And so That's their right. ability to actually control these kinds of things in a way that we could never imagine, let alone, obviously, nothing like this would ever happen in the United States. That's right. Maybe in my household, I might right. try to impose that kind of a ban. Not successfully, by the way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously the question, Morgan, so many investors have when it comes to China is when does this end? When do we know we finally hit sort of the, the baseline and now we can start to at least work with a series of regulations that have been imposed that can give us a sense as to the economic opportunity that still exists for so many of these companies? I mean, that's, I think that's the key question. And certainly it's one that investors and hedge funds and the like are, are grappling with right now as you do start to hear the reports that, that some folks are starting to make investments, some of these big tech Chinese names as well. I mean, it also speaks to, I think, broader... Um, socioeconomic 
dynamics that are at play in that country, too. I mean, you just look at what's going on on the industrial side of things, too. This is a country that, and we've been having this debate here in the U.S., but this is another country that is concerned about things like inflation, uh, income inequality, and what that does to this emerging middle class in, in that country as well. The fact that you have uh, curbs now and trying to put a tamp on prices of key commodities, um, which has ripple effects here, too. Um, all of that, I think, is at play. And even as we have conversations about port shut-ins and supply chain bottlenecks and everything else that are affecting the world. Yeah. Um, other names that we're watching this morning include a firm, a yeah. firm holdings up over 40 percent. Uh, this on news that it may be included on the Amazon platform uh, as a way for people to to buy over time. Buy now, pay later. Yeah. Uh, purchases over $50. I mean, it certainly makes a lot of sense, right? And it speaks to, I think, a bigger, broader, huge growth opportunity from an investor standpoint uh, with some of these names like Affirm um, that, are, that are targeting this area and what it's going to mean also for, like, credit card companies and some of the other more traditional financial services names uh, and also whether you could potentially start to see some of these names in play as takeover targets. Right, for sure. I mean, for one thing, the way Affirm shares have reacted shows obviously the, the power of just being included on that checkout screen, presumably, for, for Amazon. But also, it means Amazon's not going to do it, it itself, right? That's so, I mean, right. in theory, there could have been a, a sense out there, well, look, everyone's looking at buy now, pay later. Is Amazon going to buy, partner, or build? And so uh, that, that's part of it as well. But I have definitely been noticing, if you look at the way Visa and MasterCard have performed, and they're not totally shut out of this whole thing, but uh, fintech purely defined, whatever you want to call that, has outperformed the traditional Visa, MasterCard rails, even when we're talking about a comeback in spending levels and and, and all the rest of it. So there's a sense out there that stuff's going on outside the the usual players, Um, you know, whether, in fact, this is going to be, you know, make a big difference or not or or whatever. But um, it is kind of amazing and coming in a week that we were talking on Friday when the news broke that a firm has been viewed as a a shadow Peloton play because so much of a firm's business was financing those bikes. And it traded in that way, and Peloton had disappointment uh, in their outlook last week. And then this comes along. It just kind of, like, banishes all those concerns because, it obviously, in theory, it totally diversifies the business away. Um, it was Square, right, that did the, the Australian company that's competitor yes. to a firm. Uh, yeah. Or Obviously, that deal is still pending, yeah. but they yeah. announced it. And, and you know, the, the bigger question, too, is what does it do? I mean, because the, the whole pitch is it's very transparent in terms of what you will pay over the life of that you know, financing that purchase as opposed to having this revolving debt. What does it do to credit card rates and what they can earn on, uh, you know, on, on balances down the road? Uh, because if they it really disrupt the, the, the market, there's a lot of margin there in traditional credit card lenders. Yeah. Uh, uh, Afterpay was the, was the deal I was referring to, of course, at Square announced. One of the larger actual M&A transactions we've seen in, in recent times. Yeah. Which says something. Yeah. For a private <laughs> company. Um, um. But here, I mean, also just one more thought on this is that, you know, this idea of partnership also speaks to the fact that Amazon, like some of the other mega cap tech players that we talk about every single day and move the markets, are under such tight scrutiny, antitrust scrutiny, M&A scrutiny, the like. Uh, you do wonder whether this partnership was born um, rather than, say, an acquisition or, or something else being built, you know, in-house, whether it would have been the same dynamic even just a right, couple years bought, ago. Yeah, you know, it's trading at $25 billion right now after a 40 percent move. It was easily acquirable. 
by yeah, a humongous right. company. Amazon can acquire anything it wants. But it right, yeah. the question, yes. of course, no, it's a very valid one, is whether it will be able to acquire anything after if, in fact, it does get through the MGM deal, which nobody expected to have or face any significant challenges. And yet the FTC has been giving Amazon a hard time. Even They're about, everybody a hard even time. About MGM. Um, and so it does make people wonder whether Amazon and any of the other enormous platforms are really going to be able to do anything of size or perhaps enter into, into potential partnerships the likes of which we're discussing here. Guys, speaking of M&A, uh, the journal reporting on uh, Baxter getting close to a deal to acquire Hillrom. Uh, that make a number of different uh, things uh, in the hospital setting, of course, would go along with Baxter's uh, current portfolio. Um, there had been reporting on this some time back that they'd come at about 144, and then um, that was not a price that at least Hillrom was willing to consider. What I can tell you, as you can see it there, 156 is the price I'm hearing, uh, and um, they are very close, probably a few days away from signing uh, said deal, all cash. Uh, you can see Hillrom shares are up. Now, again, they had already been trading higher. Uh, based on previous reporting about the overture that was rejected initially, but it does appear they are very close to getting to that deal. And again, uh, we're talking around 156 from people close to the situation. Um, unclear whether we really have any significant antitrust, although you can see right there at least people are uh, you know, not sending it. There is still going to be a spread there. Um, given perhaps how long it would take. And, of course, there is still some risk. But they are getting very close uh, to that deal as well. One to watch. I want to point out, uh, just, I guess, shift a little bit. You know, we were talking about Hurricane Ida earlier in the hour uh, and the impact on energy, crude and gasoline prices and those stocks as well. Um, the other, another group to keep an eye on is going to be your insurers, uh, which are under pressure today. You saw many of those names actually close the week last week, despite the coming hurricane and how quickly it was uh, intensifying. You actually saw them close higher today. They're under a little bit of pressure, perhaps not surprising. You're starting to see, and we'll get more detail around this as the days go on and the weeks go on, you start to see more claims, more assessment of damages, et cetera. But you're starting to see some of those risk modeling estimates out there uh, that this could be $20 billion, give or take, depending on some of the numbers that are uh, being reported uh, in the last 24 hours in terms of insured losses. It's the names that you would expect that could, you know, potentially uh, have the most exposure. It's names like Travelers or Chubb or Allstate, Progressive, uh, the Hartford on down the line, uh, reinsurance names as well. And most of those uh, are trading in the red, albeit pretty modestly, given the fact this was a category four storm that uh, barreled into the Gulf over the weekend. But compared to Hurricane Katrina, for example, uh, 16 years ago, yesterday, where the levees gave way and we saw hundreds of billions of dollars worth of total economic damage uh, and, and large numbers. I think some of the largest on record for insured losses as well here in the U.S. Um, this looks to be more manageable. And for many of the insurers, the property casualty insurers, they came into this with pretty strong books um, because as we've talked about in the past and with the rally you've seen in some of the stocks in uh, Recent weeks, recent months, um, you know, they have been able to raise their rates. And we had not seen a lot of major, major catastrophes, at least this year up until this point. Yeah. And, you know, some of the more recent storms uh, since Katrina, remember, uh, it was the flooding that kind of, you know, got a lot of cars uh, essentially That's ruined. Right. And that Hurricane was, Harvey, that, that was an element thing. that maybe hadn't been unforeseen. And, of course, after this happens, you always get people say, well, rates are going to go up. You know, so it'll be bullish for 
you know, uh, for PNC down the road because uh, they will have a little more pricing uh, power down the road. That's right. I also want, we were talking about space before the bells. Yes, yes, please. I want to go back there and specifically the rocket side of things. Uh, a name that is recently public via SPAC. We've had a number of them uh, in, in recent weeks. But Astra, uh, shares of Astra Space are, are trading lower. They're down about almost 20 percent right now. This was after the small rocket company um, attempted its launch its first launch since becoming a public company. It was uh, Space Force payload aboard as well. It was a test flight. Um, and you can see right there, this is from Alaska on Saturday evening. Uh, it attempted the launch and about a second, according to the company, about a second into liftoff, one of the engines shut down and about two and a half minutes into the flight, uh, they basically ended the mission and brought the rocket back and the payload back. Uh, so there was a full recovery there, but you can see those shares are under pressure because this rocket did not reach space. This is the second attempt by Astra um, to reach orbit that essentially failed. It did not reach orbit. Um, that being said, Chris Kemp and uh, the team over at Astra did say, quote, we regret that we were unable to accomplish all mission objectives for the U.S. Space Force. However, we captured a tremendous amount of data from this test flight. and We will incorporate learnings from this test into future launch vehicles, including the new um, rocket that is under production right now that is currently in production. So that's one to keep an eye on. And, of course, it speaks to something I say all the time. It's very trite, but space is hard, uh, which is why it's been very eye-opening to see so many of these companies go public and why so many of them have gone public via SPAC. And, of course, this comes on the heels of what was a busy week last week with Rocket Lab, uh, another direct competitor to Astra, actually going public and beginning to trade. Um, and Virgin Orbit, Richard Branson's other space company, also announcing that it, too, now has plans to go public. Yeah, Next Gen 2. Uh, that was a week ago that they announced that deal to go yeah. public. Uh, and many of them, of course, using that SPAC. We've also been focused on SPACs for other reasons, including incredibly high levels of redemptions for so many. But not a story this morning. Uh, let's get to Bob Bassani for the story on what's hitting the market or not. Uh, Bob. Good morning, David. Uh, happy Monday. Good to see you. As always, uh, flattish open, but the S&P again at a new high and the markets keep rotating around. That's the key story for the month of August. In fact, it's been the key story all throughout the year. Take a look uh, at the major indices. The big winners as we close out August essentially are the bank stocks and technology, which have held up very well. Flattish open on banks. Tech still doing well. Materials, OK. Energy is one of the only sectors that's down on the month. A little surprise uh, that it's such a, a, a quiet open for energy, given all the turmoil uh, with the hurricane down in New Orleans. But you see here, uh, flattish open. Oil's holding in there down slightly, about $68 here. The key story here was uh, really what was going on with the Federal Reserve and where they might be going here. But uh, less fears of an aggressive Fed. That's the sort of message over the weekend I heard from all the traders I talked to. The key pal takeaway, well, they'll taper a little sooner, but there's much lower chance of a multiple 2022 rate hikes. And I think the, the key story is much less chance of a taper tantrum in general. 
lot calmer atmosphere around the Fed. COVID, hard to describe, but the market seems to be believing it can work through it despite uh, the high levels of positives that we're seeing for some people, even amongst uh, people who've been vaccinated. Earnings are still rising. In fact, the estimates are rising for the third and fourth quarters still, and most traders believe they're still too low. And we have record margins, over 13% for the S&P. That's a historic record. And that is why the S&P is at a new high. Earnings still rising, belief that the earnings need to go even higher, and margins are at a record. It doesn't get any better than that for the earnings. The biggest influence on what the Fed is going to do September 22nd is going to be that jobs report. And you see what the numbers are here. The estimate's 750,000. You see July, we had over 900. Uh, June, we had over 900,000. So the, the, the key story here is the bar to not taper uh, is very high. But I think the, the bar to begin early rate hikes is also very high at this point. Uh, so the, it's sort of a Goldilocks situation here. They're fine with the tapering fine with putting off rate hikes in, in 2022. The seasonal weakness we're seeing, that's pretty well known. We know this pretty well, what's going on here. We know uh, August and September are the two weakest months of the year. So we have three really weak months of the year, September, February, and August. And we're right in the middle of the two weakest months here. September is the weakest month in general. That's what we're going into. February is also generally a down month. This is since 1945, the averages. August is actually a flattish month, but believe it or not, that's the third worst month of the year. Even when you get into October, the numbers are a lot better. So in terms of where we are in terms of the key indexes, David, I just want to show you this. The S&P 500 so far this month, neck and neck with small caps. Small caps have been outperforming the S&P a little bit. That's certainly a very, very good sign because that's very uh, sensitive uh, to the economy overall. Growth is slightly outperforming value. Uh, That has been the story all throughout the year. Value was a big, big player earlier. Earlier in the year, David, largely flattish in the last few months. We'll keep an eye on that. But that rotation story, the main story for the S&P. Back to you. Yeah, interesting seeing growth outperform there. Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani. Well, still to come right here, more on the impact from what is now Tropical Storm Ida. We're going to speak with the CEO of generator maker Generac. And as we head to break, let's take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. Yes, it is the bond report. First, we got Friday's uh, jobs report coming. Yields, uh, you see it right there on the 10-year, 130. Or let's not change too much. We're right back. FDA sticks to its normal timeline in terms of how it reviews these applications. You would expect that review to be a four- to six-week review for potentially an emergency use authorization. So that puts you in a time frame where, timeline where you're late fall, early winter. I think that that's sort of a, an optimized scenario if everything goes right and this is an accelerated review like the other applications have been. That was Dr. Scott Gottlieb, of course, earlier on Squawk Box talking about the potential review and or approval on emergency use basage for uh, COVID vaccine for 5 to 11, uh, children ages 5 to 11, which obviously is very important for people who have younger kids at home trying to sort of navigate the Delta variant right now. Yeah. And uh, you're looking at me because I have a a kindergartner. Yes, you're having to deal with that, I'm sure. And I'm sure it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, in terms of trying to make decisions or what to do and not to do. I mean, meanwhile, we've got, you know, the EU set to recommend halting non-essential travel from the U.S. Mm-hmm. because of the spread of COVID here. We're, we're at a highs in hospitalizations that we have not seen since really almost the peak of the pandemic back last winter. That's right. Uh, and then, of course, you have the focus. I know we're going to be talking about this more in the next hour with Meg Terrell as well, but the antibody therapies taking on greater importance as well, more demand for those. I, I mentioned it earlier in the show, the fact that you're seeing liquid 
oxygen shortages uh, among some of the space companies and also some of the other industrial companies for which uh, oxygen, liquid oxygen, is a key use in manufacturing because of those hospitalizations and the need for them uh, in certain parts of the country, given everything we are seeing with COVID patients right now. Uh, but Pfizer's really been on the forefront in terms of getting its applications in. Moderna's the one, I guess, to, to keep watching. Revenue has surged, but the application Actually, Moderna, process... Uh, down about 2% this morning is some recall of some batches in Japan, I think, that's uh, the key for thing contamination, right but not, not sure if that's going to be an enduring issue or not. When we return, airline stocks have rebounded from this month's lows. But what's ahead for them now that major carriers plan to cut capacity this fall? Squawk on the Street will be right back. As the summer travel season winds down, new data shows that airlines are planning to cut capacity in the fall. Phil Abode joins us now to explain. Phil. Morgan, if you take a look at the numbers, and we've had these crunched for us by OAG, which is an airlines and aviation consulting firm, it's pretty clear that all of the airlines are going to be cutting back their capacity between, what, 7.9% and 11% for United, American, and Delta. And then when you take a look at Southwest Airlines, remember on Friday they talked about further cutbacks separate from capacity cutbacks due to scheduling to deal with some uh, some issues in terms of uh, their operations. They're also cutting their schedule by more than 6%. And here's the reason why. We have definitely seen a plateau in the number of people who are flying right now. I think this, the number of people flying was down 21% in July. Now it's down in the month of August at least 22%. Look, it was only 1.9 million people flying yesterday uh, in the United States. So what you're seeing here is a definite impact of COVID-19 cases, as they surge, people, two things have happened. One, there have been an increase in the number of cancellations. And two, people are a little more hesitant about booking their trips, which raises the question when you look at the airline index, what do we expect for Thanksgiving and the Christmas holiday travel seasons? I have heard from executives in the airline industry that are a little more cautious now about what to expect later this year. And you can't blame them because nobody's quite sure what we will see in terms of the spread of COVID and what impact that may have on people and their plans for later this year. But definitely, we're going to see a slowdown in capacity uh, at least over the next couple of months. Guys, back to you. Phil, thank you. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.